0: two forty four my cat leo is has just suddenly run into the studio and he 's trying to bite every chord imaginable so i 'm going to try and make this quick. There was a helicopter overhead about an hour ago, so uh, there 's some peace, but then my cat walks into the studio, so it's just it 's just a circus. My name is Eddie Cohn, host creator, producer of the downward facing spiritual spiral podcast. Welcome. And excited to welcome my friend Aaron Bethune. Did I pronounce that right, Aaron? Aaron Bethune to the show. Um, boy, I've I've known him for, I feel like maybe 15 years. And he's been really supportive and just a great friend over the years. Um, oh my gosh, my cat's just like making tambourine noises now. Leo, come on, get out of here, buddy. And now there's like a... <laughs> this is there now there's a trash truck in the background beeping okay there we go we got some calm now so I've known Aaron for a long time and I don't know if we met through Facebook or LinkedIn I'm not quite sure but he's been a really supportive friend uh, not only to my music but he also helped me bring my first book to life um, and he's just really thoughtful and 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 he this is this is a pretty deep talk uh, we talk a lot about religion and meditation and yoga, and and taking a break from the insanity of technology. Um, I asked him about how he first got into meditation, Uh, turning inward, we talk about the music industry, we talk about creativity, um, really talk about a lot of subjects in in a pretty brief amount of time. So I, I think you're gonna really enjoy the chat Aaron is a CEO and story explorer. He's an author. Uh, He's an adventurer from climbing in the Andes uh, and also making records to speaking around the world and working with celebrities, musicians, entrepreneurs, charities, government, and corporations. He is always excited to see life through a new lens. Uh, As I said, he's an entrepreneur, a storyteller, investor, and advisor. You can find him at wewritestories.com or aaronbethune.com, of course, on Instagram. But all of these um, links will be in the notes section of the podcast. Uh, But I think you're in store for really thoughtful chat. These are conversations and discussions that you know. I certainly don't have all the time, but I, I find myself thinking a lot about purpose and why we're here, making the most of our time. And I think that's probably why Aaron and I are also friends. You know, we we certainly have an interest and a passion for expression and the arts, but I think we also have a tendency to ask some of the uh, deeper, more intrinsic questions about society and our culture. So I, I think... You're really going to enjoy this discussion. Aaron, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you and and, and, all, the, and all the different supportive ways. Uh, you've been a part of my life, so thanks again for being a part of this show. And you know where to find me, listeners. You know where to find me on Instagram, at Eddie Cohn or the Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Please share the show with your friends. I'd love to hear from you. I've been getting a lot of listens from Ireland the last few weeks, so welcome to the show. It would be great to hear from you. And that's it. Again, Aaron, thanks so much. And thanks to you, as always, for listening, supporting, and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. Boy, I, I, I've got a few things on my mind, and... um I've known if you ever see me not looking at the screen, it's just cause I'm down here trying to control my cat. Uh, no, I, he'll start. if
1: you ever see me looking down at my crotch, it's just because my dog's on my lap.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope that's all it is. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's um you know, turning turning fifty or uh I, I've I, maybe part of it. I, I I think I'm I'm in this space of of reflection and wanting to make the most out of my life and I feel like I kind of probably did a lot of that anyway I, I based on my pursuits, my creative pursuits um, I'm reading a book called Soul, uh, Soul Boom Right now by Rain Wilson. He was uh, an act, he's an actor and and he certainly had us uh, grown into having a pretty particular interest in in life and death and the meaning of life and spirituality, but and, and these these aren't. I don't think these are these are themes that we necessarily think about as as children. I even think those that go to church often as kids are sort of forced to go because their parents went. Uh, but yeah. I, I feel like, you know, you've you've been on some meditation retreats uh, over the last five years or so, but I, I'm curious. If you can get into a time capsule and we can sort of start here, do you remember a certain place in your life or or where you found yourself, you know, pondering or pontificating a little bit more about meaning? And it wasn't when you had kids, or I'm just just it might be difficult to remember a specific event, but but maybe it was sort of a uh, just a an, a growth period of, of life where you started to sort of think about those things.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think at the end of the day, probably everyone thinks about that. The interesting piece perhaps is when, and I know for me growing up, I, I was born in Montreal, Canada, and I, Moved to England when I was four, and then I went to Spain when I was 12, and then I came back to Canada, and then I've lived in a few places since then. Why were and you, it's interesting.
0: was it your parents that were, why, why were you yeah. doing all that moving around?
1: Uh, well, my, my parents divorced before I was born, and so my mom and I lived with my grandparents who at the time, my grandfather was, um, he, was he was the president of a company that was British, and okay. um, he essentially had agreed to do a particular thing with that company in Canada. And once that was done, I think the agreement was to move back to England. So at the time, my mother and I were living with my grandparents. And when it came time for my grandparents to you know, return to England, which is where they're from, um, we went with them. But we didn't actually. We, <laughs> we went a little later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my mother and I actually took a, a boat from Canada to England. And so that was... An experience, I guess you could say. Um, However, my point of pointing out the different places I've lived is, is the interesting component on some levels, I guess, of religion. You know, and when I lived in Spain, everyone was involved of my age in the church for the reason you just pointed out, because their parents were. It was a thing to do, it was cultural. Every fiesta, every party in Spain is tied to a religious. You know, saint or, or it's cut, it's tied to, to to Catholicism, Catholicism, and um, so that side of it. You know, you'd have the more traditional um, activities during the day, but by the time it would be nighttime, you'd have live music and lots of alcohol and that sort of thing, and everyone would be dancing having a good time. So. You know, in that regards, whether you were going to church because it was something you believed in, no one that I can think of complained about all the parties that would go on. There'd literally be a party every single day of summer in some different town or village. I remember when I was in England, I really liked a girl in my class called Esther, and her father was a priest at a New Life Christian church. And I remember going to the New Life Christian church, when I was invited by her to see her I really was not going at all for any other reason yeah and I remember I went to a particular um, event again inspired by the fact that she would invited me <laughs> right and it was it was like a theater production that they'd put on and it was literally these different examples of what would happen you know to you at the pearly gates whether you would go to hell or go to heaven and they went through these different scenarios and I guess I probably would have been in the in the realms of say Well, we moved from England when I was 12, so the oldest I would have been is 12, but let's call it 10, 11 or 12. And um, I remember they'd have these different sort of scenarios, and if it was to hell, you know, the lights would flicker and all this sort of thunderous noise would happen. And it it was, you know, very loud and quite, you know, shocking. And these sort of, um, you know, devil-like beings would come onto the stage and rip the person away from the pearly gates and take them to hell. And, you know the alternative was they go to heaven. And I remember a particular example being that there's these kids, they're acting these kids out as playing with their football, the ball goes on the train tracks and they get hit by the train. In my head, I'm like, oh, I know this one, they're going to heaven. Because right. in, in my books, you know, <laughs> going to school pretty much required crossing over train tracks many times. There's a lot of trains in England. And Football, well, everyone plays football, soccer, obviously, I guess, for North Americans. Um, In fact, boys had to play soccer and girls had to play netball. Obviously, these days, you wouldn't be allowed to do that. But nonetheless, we all had to play soccer. So the idea of soccer, trains, come on, no one's going to hell for this one. They went to hell. Yeah. And it was so shocking to me. And I was, you know, it was a fear tactic. And by the time we were done with it... they also, you know, the end of it was like, who wants to give their heart to the Lord? And so it was this whole scare tactic, tactic into it. And I remember, um, you know, feeling quite concerned. And I guess that that's an early experience of, okay, what's going to happen when we die? And, but it wasn't a very deep reflective thing. It was more like, oh, yikes, um, you know, I better make some smart decisions here. Hmm. Um I remember.
0: Yeah, insane. I wonder. I was sorry to interrupt, but I, I wonder how often like guilt and manipulative tactics are used to try and get children to behave themselves. Like that almost sounds like, um, you know, kids are very vulnerable emotionally and mentally and, and very impressionable. And and I think if, you know, when you go into these huge cathedrals and, and these stories uh, of heaven and hell, it's it certainly. You know some kids, I guess who knows there's no system there's there's no you can put all these themes into a, a soup bowl and everybody takes a sip and God only knows where one kid is gonna go. But you know, I think you're telling me the story and even the way you're it's it's scaring you, but I don't know if it's really hitting you because of your age on like a a deep intrinsic level uh, i I do think to. You know, once you hit probably 20, 25, 30, 40, that's sort of when you kind of reflect and, and it's sort of one's own inner voice that gets them to sort of focus on the meaning of life. And, and, and uh, it, it, it does feel like it's, it's, it's sort of a, um, a deeper, more adult process.
1: Yeah, I would agree a, a thousand percent, and I think that's where it comes into when does the person look for that sort of spiritual component and you know, questions around life versus being sort of um, pressured into it through fear-mongering or just, you know, social things. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff on this particular topic. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that I know that... Um, uh, for example, in the homosexual community, that from the generation of, say, my parents, that it wasn't as open as it is today, it wasn't as accepted as it is today. And so if you on top of that were part of a, a religious family, yeah, you know, that was very, very um, difficult, very challenging. And so I, I know people that would literally drive, you know, say, hours and hours from their hometown. well, I can of a particular example, someone would drive from Virginia to Atlanta. To in Atlanta be more openly gay, and you know the long-term, um, I guess, uh, challenges that that created too was things like alcoholism. You know, finding you know I, I'm sinning, I'm doing all these bad hmm. things, so you've got all this sort of pressure on you to you know to to repent. But if that's your inclination, then what an awkward and awful situation to be in. And I think again. It's, it's not necessarily finding for yourself, uh, you know, the solace, I suppose, in spirituality as much as having this black cloud of some sort, I guess, hanging over you and in, in, in how it impacts your decision making. You know? I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a saying that I'm not very fond of that um, I've heard quite frequently in the southern states that says, well, that would be the Christian thing to do. Hmm. That would not be the Christian thing to do. You know that's a very loaded comment, yeah. <laughs> and that's that's you know holding over someone's head those concepts that again they're not very tied to spirituality in, in my opinion as much as they are you know sort of controlling. And you know I remember <laughs> my my younger brothers they're ten years younger than me and they actually went to a school run by nuns in Spain and I remember one day at the um, the dinner table saying you know I really wish I could could have. An idea of what it feels like to have absolute faith and belief in you know a religion in a way that is completely my own hmm. and my youngest brother said oh well you know and he started telling me what it was for him and I was shocked because I didn't even know that he'd had that feeling but because he went to the school with nuns at the age that he did he was so I guess um, uh, you know wrapped in it all that it was very real to him what was being said and how that was associating with his own, you know, thoughts and feelings. And you know, I've always thought that in that regard, that must be very comforting on some levels to feel that if you do certain things, you get a certain result. And I think that's a way that a lot of people function. If I do good things, good things will happen to hmm. me. You know, people talk about karma. The best example or definition of karma I've, I've heard or I understand it to be is you know thoughts plus actions over time and you know at the end of the day if you go about this feeling of well if i do good things good things will happen to me it's it's not a bad way to live but it can also be um a source of of depressing thoughts too because what what is it you know what happens when good things don't happen to you and yet you think you've got all these you know compiled compounded good actions yeah and, you know, I I, uh, I can talk in, in, a, in a minute about an experience I had quite recently um, that just sort of pointed out to me that that idea of reality that we've created and the, the level of control we may feel that we have in in, in our reality is is really kind of a uh, misconception. Um, but to answer your question in <laughs> a very long-winded way, uh, and I'll add a little bit more, of wind, I guess, is I remember when I was um, in my teens, I was in Spain, I was 16 years old and school was not really working for me. I wasn't a troubled child or anything like that. I just simply was dealing with language and the Spanish school system. And I was about to have to repeat the same year for I think it would have been the third time. And I just wasn't ready to, to do that. And, and so I actually was given the opportunity to, to work instead and get a different experience while I sort of figure out my next steps. And in that time, I got involved in outdoor activities, uh, sports, so, so things like kayaking, whitewater kayaking, rafting, canyoning, spelunking, uh, you know, sort of outdoor, fairly adrenaline-pumping type of activities. And that culminated at the age of 19, a week turned 19, I ended up climbing um, one of the Seven Summits. Um, and specifically, the Aconcagua, which is the second of the seven summits after Everest, and it's the highest in the world outside of Asia. And I was the youngest person on the mountain. And on the day of the summit, I won't go into the long story of how it all ended, but there was this moment on that mountain that I just had this total sense of any little thing, and I might think I'm a big deal and that I'm, you know, my life is a big deal. But in reality, you know, I have everything to thank, you know, Mother Nature of sorts around me for, for example, oxygen, <laughs> um, you know, buying Mercedes, you know, what a dumb idea that is, you know, it's, it's that's not important as breathing is or eating or drinking, you yeah. know, liquids, water, you know, that, that was my moment in time to really understand that I could create all sorts of things that I felt were important in life, but when it came down to it and survival and actual to be alive, you know, didn't come down to the things that I perhaps thought they were when I was at sea level. And that was, you know, i just turned 19 and that was a big lesson for me in that moment to experience. That's and a, I
0: mean, that's a pretty uh, youthful age to have that epiphany, you know, I, I, and, and and I think um, because, you know this, I just had a conversation with a friend yesterday. I think we live in this this incredibly uh, powerful tug of war going on right now about self self importance versus uh, meaninglessness and and um, and self grandiosity and and you know in the reality uh, we probably mean very little you know i mean i'd like to think there's a few people in our circle of of life family friends that that uh we have an emotional bond with and and a connection with um but yeah it's it's sort of something that i th- i certainly think about just just these these apps and the world we live in it just it it, it almost like wants it's 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 creating the illusion of of grandiosity um but it's all as i just said it's it's just an illusion it's it's not really the truth
1: i i agree a thousand percent and i think for me from that moment it was it was funny because i i on the day of you know going for the summit i started getting frostbite and there's a whole long story which i've actually written about because there was a lot more to my experience there than this particular um, insight for me, but uh, I remember, you know, sitting down and, you know, when you climb a, a, a large mountain, usually you head out for the summit at the wee hours of the morning, so you get the opportunity to see the sunrise. And I remember sitting down and looking back, and you know, across the the range, the, the um, uh the in Spanish, but the mountain range basically, and the Aconcawas pyramid-like shape was casting this pyramid sort of shadow and at the end of it was the sun and it was just it was the whole thing was breathtaking and it was so just so much bigger than me it was like you know tears to came to my eyes like it was that intense and you know on a sort of logical level of thinking well technically other than Asia, I'm higher than anywhere else on the planet. You know, to, to put into perspective what I'm seeing, where I am, what I'm feeling, I really am this tiny little thing, and I and that that always always stuck with me, and I have never let go of that feeling that you know and the gratitude that goes with that. But in the sort of adrenaline pumping type of activity, um. I don't think I was really afraid of death,
0: Hmm.
1: you know, and it wasn't really a, it wasn't sort of, you know, death doesn't exist, but I wasn't afraid of death in the sense of death was controlling my actions and my thoughts. You know, I wasn't making decisions based on what could die from this, you know, like jumping off cliffs and doing just stuff that, you know, as I'll say in a moment, isn't what I'm doing today. (laughs) And yet, if I was to stop and think about death, it would be a scary thought there was no way of looking at death at that time in my life either as being a pleasant thought. It wasn't something that, you know, there was fear. So I'm going to ignore that whole topic and I'm just going to sort of push it away. And I don't need to deal with that right now because I'm, you know, young and healthy and jumping off cliffs and I shouldn't need to worry about that. And, you know, I think that for most people, it's kind of how you want to deal with death, you know, not think about it, Yeah. (laughs) you know, and, good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And, you know, but yet we all know we don't get out of here alive. And so, you know, fast forward, um, I started to become more conscientious, I think about not pain, but what could happen in the case of unfortunate accidents of sorts. And that was when I went to school for music. And I was, uh, you know, for one, at one point in my life, I called myself an Eminem, which was a musical mountaineer. Those were my two biggest passions. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't sure which was going to take the lead. But I'd been involved in, you know, playing music since the age of four piano first, then guitar at the age of seven. And I knew I wanted to do music. And so when I went to music school, and I was also really pursuing a music career i started to realize that as much as it was really fun snowboarding and i was living you know probably one of the best places on the planet to snowboard um you know whistler was not too far from us mm-hmm. uh, the, the highest snowpack mount of this Highest snowpack in north america was on the island vancouver island i was living on and then i started thinking uh wait a second <laughs> if i break my wrist hmm. i'm going to be out of commission for you know like 6 months potentially and I just can't afford that. So that was sort of a bit of a starting to think a little bit about, about consequence of you know I'm healthy happy and able to but that could change yeah. and that could have a major effect on what I want to do. I really felt the need to be with my thoughts, to be with my feelings of the world and what I wanted to do next and I think that it, you know there's a culmination of things that Led to that, um, I sort of temporarily stepped away from the music industry in 2017, and I, you know, just felt like it was time to give thought to what what would feel most purposeful and meaningful to me. And I've always been interested in doing things that start with purpose and you know driven by values rather than by money. Mm. Um, and yet, I was feeling the need to have a chance to really just be with myself um, did as you, a parent of three.
0: I'm sorry, did, like, I, I did you, do you <laughs> well, there's two things I'm thinking about. First of all, the music, was the intention there, and don't forget your thought, because I, I will... I will circle back there as well. Was there the intention to like be a professional guitarist or a musician or do you want to be in a band? Or what what were the what were the the goals there?
1: Yeah, well the goals were I'm gonna do music in, okay. in one form or another, no matter what. You won't find me working at a bank or anywhere else. So I'm gonna be doing music in some shape or form. Um, but yes, I think like most people it started with the idea of being a career. Musician, um, I would be happy to play guitar all day every day, right. and wherever that may lead. At the time, I you know I did I ended up with a band that I was in for about ten years and took it pretty seriously. You know, did some made some records and you know had some level of success with it. Um, but in my case, and you know this well, um, music and talent just gets you to the starting line. You know, you need to understand the business and have the mindset and understand, you yeah. know, how to navigate the the waters, play the game and have a vision and make a plan and all those kind of things. And so I I went about learning those things and really enjoyed learning about them. And then I started... Well, to wait, hold on.
0: But, but Sorry to interrupt.
1: Yeah. What
0: was the tipping point or moment where you're like, boy, it's, it's not just about talent or uh, maybe it doesn't make sense for me to pursue this creative... Uh, world, but, you know, maybe I should enter the business side. Was there something, do you, do you remember a particular moment where uh, you were frustrated or just or just came to a sort of a state of reflection where you realized, you know, I, I, I think I'd be better off on the business side?
1: Well, you know, I think it, it was an organic thing you know you're playing in a band you want to play gigs how do you play the gigs you got to get into the clubs how do you get into the clubs well who books the clubs and then you start going okay well maybe it's the booker at the, the venue you could go to directly or maybe you work with the promoter but you know who are these people and what are their you know what, what do they do and, and why should they take interest and how might you you know, develop what you're offering to be of more interest And, you know, I just was I'm I'm a curious person and I and I'm always curious. I'm always trying to find out more information and and learn more things. And, you know, I'm I'm sort of a deep thinker, too. So I need I need stuff to think about. Yeah. And um, and so, you know, that was sort of a starting point. And so now, you know, my band's playing in venues and I'm literally having other people, whether it's at music school or just in the community saying, hey, man, like, how do you guys get that gig? And because I was the one to get it you know, now all of a sudden I'm going, well, you know, I just spoke to so-and-so and here's how I did it. And then it would be like, well, could you do that for us? Hmm. And it's really a personality thing, you know, like, it, and you hear everyone say, oh, I know this person, is so no talented, they should be on the radio. And it's like, well, why aren't they? And this, you know, years later, mounted into me writing a book on this whole topic because it was it was kind of this core question on some level is why is it that there's so many talented people yet you know most people don't succeed and
0: I feel like you uh, have been reading my mind because that is literally a question that I asked my last guest and it's something that I've been pontificating because Taylor Swift was just here and she sold out SoFi which has 100,000 people six nights um Beyonce's just been here the last 4 days, 3 nights at Sofi. Although I I kind of get Beyonce, I think I I've always sort of been enamored by her. But, you know, it it it's not just talent. I I don't I don't believe that. And I think people who do quote unquote make it tell themselves that it's talent because it it sort of maybe makes them feel better about themselves, but I hear so many stories and even so many people that have quote-unquote made it, where it's luck and timing and this person gave me a chance. And I, it's, it's, I think it's hard for me to be vulnerable and put myself out there in a profession or craft where so many variables uh, can provide success. But maybe, you know, in the medical school world and even in the, in the legal world, uh, you do need favors and, 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 you know, people give you chances. I, I don't know. It just, it feels like maybe the art world, it's a little bit
1: more chaos and timing. And- I I think, I mean, this is a topic that, of course, you know, I spent like two decades plus in this space. Um, and so it's, it's easy for me to really get into this. But I, I would say that anyone who is successful in a big way have... A combination of traits that put them above their peers you know yes you can go to school to be a lawyer or a doctor and yes you know the people that tell you that those are real jobs are right in thinking that you probably can get you know a decent income from it but to be the best to be the ones that get sought after the ones that are the experts in their fields and the ones that people look up to that is not just from going to school and so in that regards you know, there's a few things which inc- you know include passion. I mean, are you going to be a great lawyer if you really don't want to be, but you think it's just going to make you money? Probably not. Are you going to be a great musician if you really don't find it that interesting? <laughs> I mean, the difference is that more people will pursue law, you know, in order to make money, than people that would pursue music that didn't want to do music. You know what I mean? Like it's it's so in that sense, you've got in music, which was something that was really interesting to me to sort of discover was you have a lot of people with a lot of passion Hmm. that's not in all fields so you do have these really passionate people but the problem with the arts is and this is actually i'd say in a lot of other areas too but it's very difficult to wear both hats and so i have a friend of mine who has done incredibly well as a composer and he's not the normal kind of musician he's he's someone who's got all the talent but all the business abilities and these days, he's like first call for some of the largest brands on the planet. And he doesn't live in LA, and he doesn't live in New York. He doesn't live in any sort of musical. So he lives on Vancouver Island, and he worked, you know, and he's bought you know homes and different types of expensive vehicles. And I think the story that summed it up for me with him was is that he got this call at one point, which was, would he um, create music for? I think. I think it was tw- 24 songs for Disney in five days, written, so composed, performed, recorded, mixed, mastered, the whole thing, five days. But don't worry, there'd be three other composers working on the same songs. Like, in other words, they'd be divvying it up. <laughs> well, it was right before Christmas, and I, I won't drag this out. Ultimately, all, the other composers decide they're not going to do it. So now it's down to my buddy. He's got 24 songs to write in five days, fully, fully you know, finished for Disney. So he decides how long does he have to work on each song, which gives him, I think it was going to give him three or maybe four hours of sleep a night over right. this period of time. And he did it.
0: Hmm.
1: And that was who he is. I mean, that <laughs> another weekend he decided to go, go through his entire catalogue over over um, um, uh, overdubbing a, uh, a digital watermark. Obviously he didn't do it on every one. He was able to repeat it. But the point was that he still had to go through them all. And he, he'd you know for a long time set himself the the goal of writing one song a day fully finished like mastered yeah um and he's got these crazy skills and he taught over twenty thousand guitar lessons before he realized that going back and forth you know between the two different music stores that would be opening and closing and having to go across town with his, his students to the next place it was you know he needed to take control of his opportunities with music and he went into licensing and He's been very successful. But most people don't have that level of ability to be doing both the music and to be pursuing the business. And in his case, he's got incredible drive and commitment. Mm-hmm. But that's part of his thing. It's like if you work with him, he's going to over-deliver every time. You just in two hours, you have it in an hour. Yeah,
0: so you know I, mean? I I mean, look, I, I can't make any – I've never listened to any of his music. It may be fantastic, but it, it does feel like when business – and capitalism sort of pressurizes the artistic process, very, which is why very often bands' second records are not nearly as good as their first, because the first record, it, it could incubate for 2 to 10 years, and they've been working on these songs for a long time. Become successful, then the record label wants you to kind of move more swiftly and get the record done in a year or two, And and maybe your example is more common than than I'm aware of but it
1: I I think the thing is is that this is his nine-to-five job Hmm. so in his case he's making music be his living and I think there's a handful of jobs in the music industry that involve performance or hands-on with the music that you could call nine-to-five jobs But as soon as you get into the space of true art, of which, you know, record labels these days are rarely giving any sort of money to develop that, you know, you sort of expected to have it all sort of packaged up nicely um, before you even get to them. Um, But the fact of the matter is, is that that is a very difficult space to operate in because you're not creating something that's necessarily needed. So, yes, there's movies and trailers and all sorts of things that need music. They need that. But there's not a lot of places that need your next greatest song. The only time they know they're needed is when they've heard it and they think it's amazing. They have to listen to it over and over again. And it, and it represents their feelings and their emotions and speaks to things that they've been unable to put into words previously. And suddenly it's the song of their life. But to get to that place, you know... It's very difficult to, like I say, wear these two different hats, and so a major component of artist success, I think, is is the team. You know, that's that's a big one, and of course, it's a horse and cart thing because everyone would say, "Oh, of course, I'd like a manager, I'd like to have an agent," and those people are making percentages off and, of what yeah, you make. And all of that and so you costs can't get money. Them until yeah. you blah blah blah, or you pay them, and if you pay them, is it really authentic, or are they just guaranteed to get paid? So it's a, it's a you know it's a, it's a tough space to be in. But the reality is, is that there are, I mean, on a basic level, you know, if you're in the scene and you're playing in different bands and someone needs a bass player, then, you know, who are you going to recommend? Is it the guy you've never seen that's an incredibly talented bass player in their bedroom? Or do you recommend the person who's constantly on the scene playing bass? Yeah. I mean, it's a no-brainer. You know, (laughs) you don't have to answer the question. It's obvious. So there's a very basic just... You know, aspect if if you are not out there doing it, then you're not being seen and you're not even going to get that opportunity to potentially, you know, get picked up. I mean, I, you know, guitar player for, um, uh, thinking here, um, Lionel Richie, That, that was his story. You know, the music director, Brian yeah. Ritchie happened to have seen him and being recommended to this guy by multiple people because he was playing all the time everywhere, blah, blah, blah. It's very strange.
0: You know? It's strange though, Aaron. Like, I don't know if this is a unique emotion for me. Um, like, when I go to the Greek theater and watch, you know, Radiohead or Coldplay, I don't feel this way. I, I, I feel like I'm just swept by the joy of being there. But when I go to uh, local clubs that hold 50 to 200 people that that I used to play at or would play at and I, I, or I follow a venue on Instagram and see the performers and and then click on performers and somehow it makes me feel very meaningless and minuscule when I see the the all the hundreds, thousands of people that are, Uh, doing exactly what I'm doing because when I am home recording and creating these songs I do feel like I'm airlifted into this sort of um, imaginary like magic carpet ride where I'm floating and I'm just tapping into some sort of creative vessel emotionality that's indescribable but I, I feel a connection towards a a higher purpose, a, a a higher being. It it it's very uh, just in the moment, and it, but then, uh, you know, then you you start to release the music, or you go to the clubs, and and I I feel pretty small, and it's it's sort of I, I find myself um, struggling with with that component of of being a
1: creator. Well, I think that there's. A lot of factors and we've just increased those factors with all the different types of technology that are emerging. Um, You know when you look back at Taylor Swift I mean she was very active on MySpace and was very actively recruiting her fans there and you know there's there's different things that have been done as these technologies emerge and you know my son is a digital native he's 13 years old and You know he just started up a brand within a week with his friend and it's i was about to give him some ideas and i was like i don't need to (laughs) i'll be coming to him to ask him because he's he's been born into this sort of technology that exists um but at the end of the day you know i think that there's a lot of different ways that people get to the spotlight and you know get to be someone that millions of people have heard of and you know there's a lot of different stories of different ways that that would you know i could say is come about for different artists and you know some of them are are i guess on some levels sort of deceitful in some ways you know you're 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 playing into the media and i mean there's i won't get into names but you know like things like where maybe you've taken a photograph that's being done in such a way that might show another famous person and then maybe you're going to go out and tell all the you know, the blogs or the, you know, different, well, blogs at one point, but different types of media, you're on TikTok, wherever it may be, and you're saying that this is this person's latest signee, and it's not true, but you're developing the buzz, and then that gets back. I mean, there's things that you can do. I mean, I will say that I've always said to any client of mine, if you are able to make it count when you get to the spotlight, it doesn't really matter how you get there. Hmm. And that's... Is a fake it till you make it thing, and there's a lot of people that will disagree with that, but it's also tied to self belief. Because if you can't tell me right now that you believe in yourself enough that if you were given the opportunity that you would make the most of it, if you if today right here right now you don't have that ability to see yourself in a spotlight and really make it count, then what are we working for? Yeah. And and if you do have that kind of belief, then I'm going to get behind you, and I'm going to work really hard to put you in a spotlight, whatever that takes, because I'm going to have full you know belief in you because you believe in yourself that when you get that opportunity you're going to make it count and everything else will not matter anymore because if you get on that stage under that spotlight and you make it really count things can happen so what do we do to get you there Hmm. and that's that's a a challenge too for people that don't believe in themselves yet you know i remember my dad said to me once if you don't believe in yourself who's who who will why should anyone else yeah and i think that you know what Agents and managers and people like that are able to do is they're able to help you with your value and and establishing that and the negotiation process and I can tell you all sorts of stories too about negotiating deals and you know the difference of having a client around for that versus not and you know it's 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 kind of like that thing of like well, if you think you're going to one day miraculously get on stage and be paid a million dollars and that's going to go from wherever you're at today to that moment in you know in the snap of a finger that's you're fooling yourself Hmm. you know there's there is some sort of journey to that but it starts with you believing that you're already worth that now
0: i think though social media chew on this for a bit you know it feels like the world we live in artists have to create great music or write a great script. Well, maybe not so much in the... feels like screenwriters probably don't have to post on social media that they're writing a script. So, um, but I think social media and tech has created a world where artists have to do more than just create. And I think there's a lot of examples where that can be empowering and it's exciting for artists to sort of have their hands on different vehicles to promote themselves. Um, I, I just, for me, I I think it's interesting growing up in a world before all of that and then also experiencing that for the last five, 10 years. I, I certainly am not a Luddite. I, I certainly use Instagram. I, I think it would be foolish of me not to post um, about new music, new creative ideas, podcasts, I do those things. Um, I guess my level of joy around them isn't is is it doesn't permeate as much joy as, as actually creating. But maybe that's the case for for most everybody. It I feel exhausted. Sure. I, I, it feels I, like you have a bit more optimistic look at it. it for me, I it, it kind of exhausts me.
1: Well, it is exhausting if you're not into it. I mean, it's exhausting for me at times to even see other people that are constantly on their devices. I mean, you know, I just sort of feel bad that that's their reality. And I think that, you know, it's difficult to force yourself to do something that's not natural. So one of the conversations that I have with people, how to communicate better. Because if you get on a platform and you decide that you're going to, you know, try and be consistent on it, yet all you do is try and think about what, you know a million people want to hear or no then you're you know deer in the headlights if you start getting the idea that you're actually communicating with one specific person then it becomes a lot easier to understand who you're trying to speak to but at the end of the day it's also about finding ways to communicate about yourself and I think that you know the reality is the reality in other words if if it's just not your thing of course you can put the time in but the best thing you do is find whatever is your thing or the closest to what's your thing, meaning you don't have to be on every single platform and try and make every platform work and and play the game. But I think that, you know, there's a misconception that's gone on with social media too, which is numbers. Like this idea of a million followers is, is, and of course, we're into far more than a million followers being a a big deal these days, but nonetheless, people are upset. They only have 10,000 followers. Well, Sorry, excuse me. Do you know what ten thousand people look like? If you're in that room with those ten thousand people, right? And they've lost touch with the fact they're people, and hmm. so it's all about these these numbers rather than these relationships. And I think that you know there's there's an element of music is something that can be a lot of fun, and I think that's why musicians get into it is because it's not just that it's fun, but it, it's it's an ability to be themselves, to do what is their calling, and if that goes away and it becomes depressing and it becomes challenging because you're trying really hard to make it your business then it's time to step back from that there's a lot of ways to put yourself through that kind of level of you know unhappiness in what you're doing that could pay a lot more so that you know it's really important to to do what you love and if music is stopping being fun then it's time to really think about what you're doing I mean, when I've spoken at universities about the music business, um, I've I've written a book that's been used at universities as a textbook for music business. Um, you know, I've I've sort of outlined some level of what the game is that people think they need to play. And I will say, as a side note, that my approach has always been to find places that no one else is trying to compete in. As an example, I I, I created with a client. Um, the role of music and culture ambassador. There's Wait, no you, other state that you
0: cut has that role. You, you cut, you cut out right, music I, and what?
1: Music and culture ambassador for the state of Mississippi. Okay. That, that does not exist for any other state, and that also um, did not exist in Mississippi, and there was no one competing for that role. Hmm. So it was a great race to be in because there was no other competitors. There was a, there was a only one outcome, win or lose, but winning was looking pretty good because we'd done our research and put something pretty yeah powerful together. Um, that actually led to that person now having the they've, they've written the official the new official state song for Mississippi. It's resulted in you know all sorts of things with Grammys and travel around the world. So you know it was a different path to take to an outcome that people might try to get to playing the game. But when, but after I tell people what that game is, I then also come back at the end to say, you know, but at the end of the day, there isn't any guarantees and there is no, you know, right way to do this. And quite honestly, if you're trying to replicate other people's success, you're you're already losing.
0: Don't you feel like it's more difficult and and maybe talk about your kids, but cause they've sort of grown into this, this world that we live in now, but don't you feel like it's more challenging today and, and, to be productive, to be creative, to be focused, to be in touch with your inner voice. I mean, I just recently had a guest on where he was reading a statistic where 99% of society is consuming, only 1% of society is actually producing or creating. It, it feels like um, we, I, I, we're living in the best of times. Like, I really believe that way. However, if you're not careful, you're in, on God only knows what what algorithmic path or God only knows what rabbit hole it, it feels like to to stay centered and stay true, and and it feels like that's more challenging now than ever. Uh, it's easy for you and I to sort of stand up here on the top of a of, of hill and you know you you do this or you do that or you stay disciplined or you know if you do all these things it's going to happen. But I I just. Look, I, I certainly don't well, have to figure it out. It just feels more difficult now.
1: Yeah. I mean, is it more difficult or not? I, I don't know. I mean, like music, I, I feel the value of music is the experience. The packaging always changes. The delivery always changes or it's constantly changing. But the experience is, is where the value is at. And I think it's sort of the same in some ways. like we've added layers of complexity to our lives you know we have a very strange way of being you know more connected through technology yet less connected as people you know, cause we're sort of individuals in our rooms communicating with the masses so to speak um but i think that you know on on the one hand this idea of being productive is is kind of misleading too because a lot of people consider that i mean it's like a, it's it's like doing a to-do list. most people's to-do lists are unachievable and quite often on that to-do list let's say there's there's a major thing that could be really valuable to you know your career or to your life. Quite often people try to clear the decks before they get to the, the important stuff and the reality is you're never going to get to the important stuff. you're never going to have all the decks cleared. you're gonna have to learn to live with the anxiety of never reaching that you know sort of inbox zero inbox zero, is also, you know, you're you're foolish to think that that's something that's going to result in some level of zen. Inbox zero means you've essentially responded to every single email you've got, which means you're now going to get more than you had before because now you're writing back to people. And, you know, so that doesn't stop. It doesn't end. So what you need to be able to do is decipher between what's most important. And I think that's where things like social media and all these other things come in to confuse you more. Because you start to think, I should be doing this, and I should do that. And, oh, look at this. This person always seems to be so happy. Look at all their selfies. You know, oh, look at this person. They always have such wonderful-looking meals. Oh, look at this person. They're always in a beautiful location. Well, are they always, always, (laughs) always? Of course not. But now you've got this unachievable level of perfection that you'll never reach. And so we have these confusing things. And what it's doing is it's, it's taking us further and further away from what we can do about it right now. And, you know, that's where I think self reflection is so hugely important because at the end of the day, you need to, to, you do need to pause and reflect. How did I get here? Who am I? Well, do like, you feel,
0: before you go on your month long journey, do you feel less connected? Do you feel like sort of the, 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 the crumbs of the cake are sort of falling off of its edges a little bit, and you need you need some more flour and water and eggs to sort of glue the cake back together again. Is it just sort? Of, do you like, or is it something that you just want to do every year, no matter how you're feeling? But sort of, what's? Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, I would say, by the way, as a side note, you know, I would think everyone should find at least once a year an activity that encourages the ability to pause and reflect like you know, the most recent company that I started is that's at the core of our why is to help people pause and reflect uncover who they are we use books as a framework to do that but it's to pause and reflect how you do that is up to you as far as your own personal way of pausing and reflecting I mean whether it's going off on a meditation retreat or some sort of pilgrimage of sorts or you know spending a week at the beach or whatever it is you know to find that thing like you know I've I've got into the whole cold exposure thing. It's very hard to, I mean, I live in Canada. Um, the Titanic sank not too, too far from us in the wintertime. There's icebergs. Yeah. If you go into that water, good luck thinking about anything else, but where you are right here, right now, you know, it does bring you to the present moment. Um, you it's know, so funny because we,
0: we started, we got a cold plunge and we, we get the water, we get the water down to like 48 degrees and try to use, yeah, do that like three times a week. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, do, do you do you feel like the anxiety levels increasing, or or what, what sort of uh, or then then you go on your 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 trip, um, or is it just something well, that you want to have a practice of doing every year?
1: Well, I would say I have a practice of it doing it multiple times a year now, okay. and I've definitely got into an array of different. Uh, you know, just sort of interesting ways to to pause and reflect. More recently, I went into a float tank, which I thought was, you know, brought about some other interesting thoughts. And I can talk. I can talk about, you know, I, I I recently did a macro mushroom trip, which was the first in my life, and I can get into that because that was pretty mind boggling, and it was a bad trip. So, I can but what definitely... I guess,
0: but what what makes you trying to personalize it a little bit? Feel the desire to go on these quote-unquote trips or uh, yeah. you know what's what's for, I mean for, yeah.
1: for me it's it's if if you spend all day every day working through your to-do list and playing catch-up with yourself all the time you are asleep like I understand the term of you know people walking around asleep and being will an awakened being to me, what that means is when you are walking around, you go on this wonderful walk in nature, but you're thinking about all the shit you need to do and whether or not you locked the door before you left, like you're not actually in the here and now, you're either in the past or you're now thinking about the future. And if you do that relentlessly all the time and you add to your to-do list because you know, now we glorify being busy, <laughs> you never actually get to any moment in time where you really stop and think about things and you really stop and think about, you know, life. I mean, the average life is 4,000 weeks. So, you know, for me, it was a combination of things that enabled me to really kind of stop for a moment and go, okay, well, you know, here I am, I'm turning 40. It's not a midlife crisis, nothing like that. But I'm I'm starting to be aware that I'm feeling like I'm over that hump. You know, I think when you're thirty you can fool yourself into thinking you can do whatever you were doing when you're twenty. But going into my forties, I was like, well, there's just some things I will never do again. Yeah. And there's just some things that if I tried to do them, I might even be considered as being creepy. You know, like <laughs> if I wanted to go do these things that I did when I was in my twenties, well probably it's gonna be a bunch of twenty year olds and that might start to go, what what are you What is this guy doing? And f- You know, so I started to realize like, okay, there's some things that are never gonna come back. It doesn't mean there's not amazing things ahead of me, but I started to really go, Okay, well, I I do have a choice and I have the ability to decide how I want to spend my time, but how am I going to do that if I'm in this situation of constant busyness? Now, I come from a family of alternative type people. My grandmother taught Ayengar yoga for my whole life, but you know, she all the way until she died, and she started getting me into meditation when I was about four. But as you can imagine, I wasn't very interested. Um, my mother, high anger teacher, and aunts, and vegetarians and vegans, and all this kind of stuff. And so I, I, I was born in born into that. But you know, was a vegetarian for a long time, not by choice. But to your point earlier. I got to that place in my life where I wanted to find that answer for myself. I didn't want some to be subjected to yet another sort of religious idea or something like that. You know, I was getting questions of my own that felt like I needed to have them answered. And, you know, I think that it's it's kind of like books. I don't know if this has happened to you, but there's plenty of books I've read where I'm like, wow, that's really changed my life today. You know, this has been a really important book for me. And I think to myself, Oh, you know, if I gave this book to so and so, this would change their life. It won't. <laughs> I mean it might, but it probably won't. Because they're you know, they're they're not looking for it. You know what I mean? Like it's like with a lot of um well, like in in Buddhist teachings, for example, you know, they talk about how these teachings are sort of available to you but you don't know yet because you don't understand them. Like you know, you can until you have an experience or some sort of thing that enables you to recognize what's being said as being a truth to you, not because someone told you it's the truth, but because it's a truth to you. Then it really doesn't do anything. And for me, you know, prior to this this event at the monastery, um, I did have a I did have a moment in in time. I was taking a uh, a ferry from Vancouver Island to Salt Spring Island which takes about 25 minutes, and this is in the Gulf Islands in uh, BC, Canada. And I had a notebook, and I was sitting on the ferry, and and I, I had this really visceral, I guess, experience of not feeling that I was actually separate from anything, per se. Like, you know, you could say, yes, this is my hand, but I couldn't really tell you where my hand stopped and... You know the air began, or you know my pen began. Like it, 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 there was this, this sort of feeling, and I can still have that feeling of recognizing that I'm almost like a fish in water. You know, most fish don't know they're in water. You know, they they're just in it. And I was getting that sense of I'm in it. And then I started having this sort of it was it was a series of insights that I all that I wrote down in this notebook, and I still have the notebook. Um, and It's kind of interesting to look at. But I had this epiphany. I was like. I only have an ex- one experience, and that's my own personal experience. It's my own personal reality. This is what I believe to be. What I believe to be is my personal reality. I don't know what yours is. I don't, you know, and I can assume, and that's where people start to go wrong. They'll they'll assume that the person that they know that didn't wave back to them on the other side of the street is pissed off at them. Hmm. But that's an assumption. That's your own personal reality being projected. It's not that your friend did, you know, saw you and didn't wave back because they're pissed at you. It's because they probably didn't see you. And they have a whole personal reality of their own that they're going on, you know, living in their life. And that particular moment, they didn't even see you. And so I started to realize, I was like, every single thing that I experience is my personal experience of that thing. It's the same as, you know, when you look at people that have, say, body dysmorphia. I mean, it doesn't matter what you tell them they look like, it's whatever they see themselves as being. That's what's impacting their choices and and their actions and their feelings. And so I, you know, so first epiphany, personal reality. All you ever experience is your own personal reality. The second epiphany was, okay, well then that means you've got a personal reality as well. And your personal reality is affecting mine. You know, we have this conversation and, and my thoughts might affect your future thoughts and your thoughts might affect my, th- your questions, you know, affect my answers. So there is a shared reality and that's the overlap of your personal reality and my personal reality. So I was like, okay, the are number two. <laughs> pivoting number three. Um, okay, but there's something that I'm born into to have this experience that I believe was here before I was born and will be here after I die. And, you know, that's where things like culture exists and the idea of, let's say, for example, the agreement that Canada and the United States are two different countries. Well, when the moose crosses over in Alaska to, to the Yukon, it doesn't know that it's, it's gone into a new country. That moose doesn't think it's American when the Canadian moose doesn't think it's Canadian. Yeah. But we've agreed that there's two separate countries and there's not many places that have walls anymore. And, you know, so there's that, the understanding that a $20 bill is worth $20 bill, because we agree to that as a collective. And so all of those kind of things, which, you know, includes things such as, you know, if I run at a wall and I hit it, it's going to hurt. So, you know, how many times have you tried that for yourself? You don't have to. Someone else has figured that out. I mean, did you decide that, you know... A dog is a human's best friend or a cat. I mean, no, that that's already there. Like, did you come up with the English language? No, it's already there. So there's something that's already there that's physical, that's a shared belief. And then there's pure imagination, too. So mm. to me, I'm like, okay, well, that's that's going to be the collective reality. And our shared reality isn't just the extent you and I talking. It's everything we're tapped into. And to me, that's somewhat some level of why there can be a disaster on the other side of the planet. And you can go, wow, that really sucks. And I feel sorry for them. But you don't feel sorry for them in the sort of necessarily deeply emotional way that you would if you felt sorry because your best friend died. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just a sort of human component that would really suck. But, you know, it's part of your shared reality that you're constantly engaging with then you're not gonna feel it the same way. But your shared reality is also these things like the, the media that you choose to consume. Like all these things are playing a part into your personal reality. And so I had this sort of epiphany and I'm not calling this science or any of that stuff. This is just a tool. This helps me to think about things at times. Like for example, if you know if you're if you're having a challenge in life, there's something to be said. Is this something that is you know coming from where? The collective reality might have the tendency in your culture to tell you that you should get a real job instead of being a musician. Yeah, you know, so that's causing effect. Your peers might be saying, you know, Eddie, it's it's really nice what you're doing, but you should really get a real job. So these things are affecting your personal reality. Now, what if if you, on top of that, think I'm never going to succeed? So that's coming from your own personal reality. But this could be a totally different picture, right? You could surround yourself by people that are really encouraging what you do. You could believe in yourself first. And you could defy what the collective reality says about life and about what's right and wrong. I mean, you know, I constantly tell myself, it's like, that's a rule that was made by another human. So, like, can I not come up with some new rules? Obviously, I could be, you know, right now sound like a total idiot because there are certain rules that we sort of have to follow, if nothing else, from legal purposes. But the, the point of the matter is that, you know, it's okay to challenge these things. And for me, it was a moment in going, wow, my whole personal reality is constantly being constructed by me. I can choose on some level as to how I want to see in, you know, what's going on in my life. I mean, the, the, the branch went through my leg. Man, I am so grateful. I'm so lucky that it didn't go through my artery you know, like for me, I could also be like, oh man, you know, life always sucks. You know, I never get a break, right? I mean, yeah. we all have the friends that have both versions of that. The yeah. person's always lucky, the person's always unlucky. Now guess what happens? If you think you're always unlucky and you share that with your shared reality and people go, oh yeah, you know, Eddie's always unlucky. It doesn't, uh, you just got to branch through his, you know, Aaron's always unlucky. got to branch through his leg, you know, just his luck. He's always unlucky. And then that gets fed back to me. Yeah. And now I now I'm thinking something, saying that, and then that gets shared back to me that I'm the unlucky person. Like, come on, like you gotta start to see that at the end of the day, you know, it's like swimming with schools of fish. I mean, there's many oceans, there's many schools of fish. I mean, you do have a choice where you wanna swim to some degree. You know, it's not rocket science to realize that if you're surrounded by people that are, you know, really successful, that the bar is raised and they pull you up. If you're around people that are really happy or people that, you know, are, are really healthy, like flip the narrative. People yeah. that are really unse- unsuccessful, really unhealthy, really unhappy, really blah, 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 blah. blah. How are you going to feel like shit? Because you're surrounded by it and it takes a really strong person to get out of that. And then you get into the whole, you know, collective reality of, of, well, you know, you know, some people, the other half, you know, like some people live like that will never live like that. I
0: think it's funny as I'm, as I'm hearing you talk, I guess last, last question and and theme we got, I got like, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Um, I mean, I know you're living in Canada. Uh, It almost feels like it's easier to not get affected by the stimuli in a country that isn't uh, the fast food frenzy of, of America. And I'm not even just talking food, but of course I'm talking about the media. I mean, I don't know Canadian television, but it is so overwhelming here. And uh, the, 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 the news stories... Uh, the advertising of of trying to make you feel like your life is not its best life until you have this product, or uh, they they want you to feel a particular way or think a particular way, and as as you're saying the stories or sharing these stories, uh, I don't want to say that you have it easier, but living in Canada because we all have our own problems of course but i i will share to you a lyric here here's my here's my story very quickly uh, i have i've grown up in a household and and in a genetic lineage that has deep rooted anxiety it probably comes from uh, the jewish side it comes from the the very hard nosed russian christian side i share both of those lineages um a lot of health issues in my family. Uh, I've certainly gotten, I've, I, I have, knocked, knocking on wood, been in really great health through a lot of hard work over the last 25 years. Uh, but I've also come to this place where much of, of physical health, I think uh, when the mental health deteriorates, uh, whatever part of the body that is, is, is weak, it could be the stomach, it could be uh, muscles in the, in the neck, it could be uh, the jaw, Uh, the, the body has this way of attacking areas that are not, um, strong, uh, fortified. And so I say all this, uh, because I don't want to be a worrier anymore. I'm tired of worrying in this Tom Petty line. Most things I worry about never happen anyway. And, and I think, um, you know, I've been in my family. It's sort of like, oh, you're just acting like a cone, or it's sort of just it's assumed that that the cones worry or have anxiety, and and that kind of a few years ago, I was like, no, that that doesn't have to be the case. You know, one somebody in my family had a um, a uh, endoscopy, and they were only like in their early twenties, and it's sort of like, oh, well, the cones have stomach problems, and it's. I just don't I got tired of, of believing that. I, I, I'm tired of being told a story that I don't have to read or live. Like I don't ha- I can be different and and I can stop worrying or you know, I just went on a trip to Montana. And I went zip lining and I went whitewater river rafting. And sure my glamping experience is not like camping, but those those are things that I had never done before. And sure when I'm on that 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 tree that has this little stoop that I can barely fit on because we're about to jump off of it to go zip lining to the other side of, you know, of a river. Uh, sure I, I'm worried that the the cables are gonna break. Um, but ultimately, obviously they didn't because I'm here with you, I guess as you're telling the story, and I, you know, I shared a lot here about the, the parallels between Canada and and America And, and America, I do believe sort of creates this deep, they want you to feel anxious. They want you to feel like your life is not satisfactory unless you have this, or you're taking this pill, or I guess I just became tired of it all.
1: No, I, good for you, man. Um, you know, I won't get into epigenetics, but people should check that out because there's a lot of studies that show that it's not just about your genes as much as it's about your environment. And I right. would say that's the same with these thoughts, right? Your environment. And I think that, you know, from my point of view, like I've lived in a few different places. The last place I lived in Spain had four houses. It was in the middle of nowhere. I was helping the, the, the locals with their, their, their goats and, you know, helping make honey and I was forty years younger than everyone else, and you know, fast. I wanted to be in music, and fast forward, I ended up working with the Grammys and stuff like that. So, I mean, it was quite a journey, you could say, from one place to the other. But to to sort of you, you're in LA. I mean, LA. I think people will take out a a loan to buy clothing just to show that they're someone they're not.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And but well, there's still a choice. Like I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, at some point in time, wait, hold like, well, on,
0: I, hold I, on, you you so quickly just say there is a choice. And I'm I'm kind of playing devil's advocate, but I do believe these devices, the onslaught of the algorithms, the onslaught of fear The emotion, the, the, the emotionality of those two components, I do believe somehow get into the brainstem of people where they 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 feel like they actually have to do those things.
1: They absolutely, totally do. And to go back to saying about being curious, one of the things I most love about the work I do these days is hearing other people's stories. And, and it's amazing how, whether it's someone's health or just their path to success, you know, what you may see on social media or in a slice of of time of their their you know sharing their story is not the, the entirety of it. And I think that yes, absolutely. I mean, LA especially, you 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 can very quickly feel like you're not a success at all because look at all these other people and look at, you know, all this wealth and these different things. But there's still, like, I, I have a. Uh, the other day I was on a call. Uh, I was communicating with two friends from high school. One's in Russia, the other is in China, and I'm in Canada. And just these friendships, I mean, just to be able to see a different perspective on what the news is showing in these different places talking to my friends and family in Europe, what they see. I mean, I remember, you know, living in Spain where Franco had been once and there was all this censorship to suddenly at four in the afternoon, you could watch whether it's the news or a movie that was totally inappropriate for that time of day being shown because it was this extreme of censorship that being raised. So now we don't care. Like you'll see someone get shot in the head, you know, on, on live TV or whatever, because, you know, that's what's actually happening. So just talking about it. And you know, the fact of the matter is is there is an agenda of sorts going on at all times. You know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but nonetheless, there's, you know, the states, I mean, the invention of 24-hour news was an invention of, of how to make business better and bad news sells. But you do have a choice. You don't have to be on social media. You don't have to watch the news. You don't have to do any of these things. And you could then even say, well, that's blah, blah, blah. But, for example... A piece of advice that I was given recently, which I would tell everyone to live by, is all you need to do is the next right thing. And I'm pretty sure that's probably a line from Frozen or something. But you know, at the end of the day, that is the truth. Like All these concerns that these things generate, whether or not you are doing things right or, or should be more successful or should blah, 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 it's a projection of what you think. Just like the projecting the worst. What if the zip line breaks halfway through? It hasn't yet. And if it does, it's not right now. But the reality is, is that we have this constant fear by projecting ourselves into the future based on the information we have now. Right. No one has ever been me today in the future, if you know what I mean. Like It's like if you never thought you could buy a house and you buy a house, well, it wasn't the person that couldn't buy the house that bought the house, was it? It was the person who could buy the house that bought the house. And that happened over a period of time. And that person had to change. That's why when, it, in my opinion, you know, actually personal development and self-reflection is the key to a lot of these things because at the end of the day, you have to find the perspective that helps you get to where you wanna go. And I think when it comes to doing the next right thing, it's like saying, well, is that thing you're thinking about something you can take a true action on? Not not, not an idea of an action, but an actual action that's gonna impact today. If the answer is no, don't do it. I thoroughly believe that if you set a course for your life and you believe in that wholeheartedly, it's in you, it's the subconscious mind is working. Like I used to have panic attacks in my late teens, early 20s, that were really uh, physical. And I remember that they would come on sometimes on days I thought were like awesome days. I was like, what the hell? And it was a good example of the subconscious mind at work. And there is a subconscious mind at work. And so if you've set yourself, I wanna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm committed to doing this, you will do this, it's like, getting into the flow of sorts but now you don't have to constantly be thinking way down the road and looking at all the possible potential problems that could arise you have to look at the very very next thing and it's created such relief to me like even a conversation with a family member or or, you know can I do anything about it right now if the answer is no like look it's not that I don't care it's just there's nothing I can do about it today so let's remove that off our plate and let's get to that moment where we have it as a real thing that we can do something about in that present moment. But for today, can I do anything? If the answer is no, then that's it. There's nothing I can do. It's like worrying about your paycheck, for example, and paying the bills. I mean, is there something you can do about it today? Well, being in the fetal position on the ground, worrying isn't getting you to what you could do. Is there something you could do? And if the answer is no, I'm in such, you know, I'm riddled with anxiety and I'm having a panic attack and I'm in all this sort of negative stuff. Well, maybe the truth is there isn't anything you can do about it today. So now maybe what you have to do is stop worrying about the fact that you're in the fetal position, riddled with anxiety, and go, you know what? I accept. There's nothing I can do today. And if I take today off, then maybe tomorrow I'll be in a better place. Yeah. And that's part of it too, because you put so much pressure on yourself to perform constantly that you don't realize that that pressure is stopping you from performing well. And when you really step back, and to sort of take this back to my you know, sitting with monks, when you really step back and you look at all of these things, it doesn't take a lot to start to realize how much of what you're thinking about is the future and the past. Mm-hmm. Past is usually depression, future is anxiety. And is there anything that, of all of that stuff that you can do about you know anything to do with that right here and right now. And for me, I came to one of the biggest epiphanies, you know, at this monastery was there I don't have to do anything or be anywhere to find what I'm looking for. Hmm. And what I've I'm actually writing a book currently that is about the moment it's the working title is um, Destiny in the Rearview Mirror because it fascinates me how when you look back on your life, everything has worked out perfectly to where you are today. Obviously, like, duh, here you are, that was your journey. Of course, it brings you to where you are today. But it's amazing how there's always a before and an after. You just went, you know, river rafting. After a massive rapid, there will be, you know, pools of, of water that's not moving quite so fast. Like, if you, especially the case in, in whitewater kayaking, if you want to, go against the current, you could spend a long time in that rapid, but if you also just let yourself go, you'll get to that, you know, peaceful water. And at the end of the day, you know, there's this element of, you know, that you, you think that you need to do a certain thing and be in a certain place and, you know, achieve certain things to find happiness, but at the end of the day, it's, it's being, okay with where you are right now and recognizing that at the end of the day it's this idea that on some levels we are creating those anxieties we are creating those fearful thoughts of the future and that this idea that some external thing is going to to provide us with what we're looking for is misleading and that compounded with, you know, social media and media in general and the people that are around us that are also buying into all those things and, you know, saying it back to us can put ourselves in a position of playing in front of 200 people is not success. Hmm. But at the end of the day, I mean, we are all going to die. And what, you know, I certainly have experienced in a few occasions is that you don't know when and you don't know how and it's not going to be when you think it is. And so, you know, this idea that you've got endless time is a misconception. And I think that you know, when you recognize that, and you can find the amazing aspects of what it is to be here, you know, you can let go of some of the. And honestly, if it takes change, such as, well, I don't want to live in LA anymore. I don't want to watch the news anymore. I, you know, I, I remember what it felt like to turn off the media during the pandemic. And here we are, I'm not talking about conspiracies. I'm just saying there was no value. I mean, look at toilet paper was being sold like out of control. Like, where the heck did that come from? You know, just like people lining up for gas when there's other problems. I mean, depending on the disaster, where are you going to drive? Right. <laughs> you know. So there's, there is, and I think you know, on some levels, the world is becoming easier to not have to be in a major center in order to even continue the work that you're currently doing. But I think that you know we all do our best work and become our best selves when we are also happy with what we already have because no matter what when you get to that next place that perhaps is the bar that you set for yourself last year you know you're going to set the bar again and you're going to also enjoy achieving that goal but if you don't enjoy every step of the way then you know you're you're in a position of constant unhappiness and i think that you know the reality is is that we are um, you know we, we are in a society that, that that touts productivity and you know bigger is better scale, scale, scale. Those are actually counterintuitive to, to, the, to the health of the planet.
0: Yeah. You know, like,
1: the planet does not benefit from you scaling your company and buying a bigger house and more cars and all these kinds of things. It doesn't actually benefit. And so, you know, it's a concept that's very hard to wrap your head around. And there's a, a friend of mine whose his whole thing is, is developing entrepreneurship in rural communities. And one of the things that he was saying was this, it's better to have, you know, 500 companies with two people than two, p- two companies with 500 people. Because when those companies go out of business, you know, all those people suddenly are out of business. And if they move there to where, I mean, there's, there's, yeah. there's a negative impact. You know, whereas when you start your own businesses, you get an opportunity to gain experiences that then bring more experiences to that community that then can benefit those communities. And I think, you know, on some level we're seeing some amount of people recognizing we probably need to have some ability to sustain ourselves locally. You know, we need to have some ability to understand what it is to provide for ourselves. And I think, you know, beyond the fact that a lot of people go into nature thinking about tomorrow and what happened yesterday. You know, nature is a massive teacher. I mean, there's no question that if you get outside of the city and you get into nature and you experience just the power of nature and you experience the balance that exists naturally in the natural world, you know, that nature itself is sustainable. It's us who's created unsustainability. Yeah. you start to see things that are incredibly eye-opening. And again, like there's things you should do you should cons- what is success success isn't just financial success or fame that's that's a sort of a cliche of sorts or stereotype but you know what is success to you and you know it doesn't need to matter to anybody else because the only experience of this life is your personal reality so it's not about anyone else it's yeah. about you You know, and I think that that's one of the things that happens when you find ways to pause. And reflect. it doesn't have to be the monastery. It doesn't have to be in a cold exposure. You know, I would say to anyone, meditate. It's it's incredible. Magic happens at the 20 minute mark. It takes a while to get there. But once you get there, you can go for hours. And it's amazing how we have all of our own answers in ourselves. And we really don't need to search outside. Yeah, and when you tap into that, it's amazing. I mean, and there's countless stories of people that have endured incredibly, incredible atrocities, but being able to sustain themselves in a positive way because of tapping into their inside, not their outside. You know, it's it's an inside-out life, not the other way around.
0: Sadly, I have to, I have to move from the inside. Of, of this conversation to the outside world now and, and get, get to the more productive side of my uh, work. I have to get to the work day. The work. Yeah, uh, but it's, it's always a balance. Um, Aaron.
1: Um, What's the perspective, Eddie? I know you gotta go, it's this perspective, right? I mean, it's it's like a, a recent thing said to me that, I, that it's, it's so on the nail is a bad decision is only a bad decision if you stick with it for 30 years.
0: Oh, so yeah, if, that's if, good.
1: if your current thing is providing in the pros and cons, a lot of pros, it doesn't, nothing's permanent. Everything's impermanent. And that's something that I think entrepreneurs really find to be reality. If you don't make yourself valuable, you don't have anything. And that's something everyone could learn from, because it would make for be a better employee as well. Yeah. But the point of it is, is just that when you see things in a new light, you can see things in a new perspective and you never know i mean you may still end up in texas and how you get there and when that happens you know is is unknown today but if you set yourself and go okay i'm feeling these certain things are you know not creating the life i want you don't need to know how it's going to change it is going to change and that's the biggest thing It's it's like the the horse with blinders it's like the person whose wedding day is only good if it's beautiful and no rain but it's that the opportunities happen when you set yourself on a path and then you take the blinders off and you realize that the path being set by you was actually this, the path that brings about opportunities you could never have created yourself. The path was yours. You, you said, oh, I've got to make this destination. But when the blinders are off, it's because you set yourself for the destination that the opportunities way were able to happen. Yeah. And that's an incredibly important piece to be aware of and that's what happens when you're more aware of what's going on in the present rather than just oh my destination's, you know, 32 hour drive away. You know, but that's not what's today. That's 32 hours away. But this was this was my this was highlight great. of today. Yeah, this was
0: fantastic. I've been um, looking
1: forward to it, Eddie, so.
0: Yeah, I'll uh, um I'll, I I want to I'll, I'll say goodbye now, but then I'll I'll call or, call or text you in the next couple of days so I can uh, at length, thank you for doing this and uh, let you know about uh, the details. And then I also, I'll, like in the, I'll record an intro, but I want to get some details about you and that I can put in the intro of the podcast. But um, this has been a long time coming. I appreciate you making the time to do
1: this. Yeah, Eddie. Well, and I have to say, I, I, I haven't commented on the last music you sent me, but I've always always loved your music and I love the fact that you are a true artist that spends the time to get it right and yeah. I think that you know that's something that other people could do more of so being well, thank yourself you. yeah. and creating music in a way that's authentic is I think what it's all about so yeah
0: well cool man I, I really appreciate you and 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 uh taking the time to do this and I'll I'll talk to you soon
1: yeah man all right Eddie cool well, good to see you likewise man talk soon we'll talk soon okay, yeah. Bye. bye for now